Welcome to the TAGT podcast. Come along as we work to connect the GT community and explore new ways to meet the unique needs of gifted individuals. This is the TAGT podcast. This podcast was recorded at the 2023 TAGT Leadership Conference. Hello and welcome to the Texas Association for the Gifted and Talented podcast. I'm your host, Michael Fluche. A special thank you to our sponsor, Renzuli Learning. Check them out and get your free trial at RenzuliLearning.com. Today we're chatting with soon-to-be doctor Celeste D.C. Sodergren. Celeste is a research practitioner who believes in utilizing the best and most current research to inform day-to-day practice in educational organizations and utilizing daily practice to inform research. Currently, she is pursuing her PhD in educational psychology, specializing in gifted and talented research at Baylor University, and serving as the Director of Advanced Academics in Waco ISD. Research interests include the influence of self-beliefs on teacher success and student academic performance and leadership development in gifted and talented coordinators. Celeste, welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, it's it's so fun and I'm so thankful to have um, directors and coordinators coming onto the podcast because I really believe um, it could be a great encouragement uh, to future uh, doctors out there who want to kind of be in your role. So thank you for doing this. Sure. So we're at TAGT Leadership 23. You are presenting on growth of GT students, which I think is, is fascinating because that can look a lot of different ways. And it's another one of, uh, I would argue, several topics within GT where I think people think they know what that is and think they know how they're going to be measuring it. Um, but why, why did you bring that to TAGT Leadership 23 and, and kind of what do you mean by student growth in GT? Yeah, that's a loaded question. There's a lot involved <laughs> in that. Um, one of the biggest problems I have as a director of advanced academics is proving that my program works. And when you're trying to advocate for more staff or more funding or to keep your staff and funding in a program right. during a time of you know, budget uh, tension, I would say, one of the most important things you can do is demonstrate the quality of your program. Mm. But for the most part, we have a tendency to rely on individual portfolios of students. And a lot of times those are housed in file cabinets on individual campuses or at the district level. It's hard to pull that up really quickly and talk about what's Mm. happening in your program. And uh, when you ask the teachers, how are you tracking the kids' growth? They will tell you things like, Well, I know they grow because I had them two years ago and I see the growth themselves. Mm. But that's not a metric that a district district leader can use at a board meeting. I know I had one kid over here who changed a lot over the last four years. Um, So to be able to really demonstrate that the growth is coming from what you're doing in your program, you have to have some way of measuring that growth. Mm -hmm. And uh, what we know in our research world is everything can be measured. And we have these great standards from the Texas State Plan, so I got to thinking about how do we really measure these skills that are um, somewhat difficult to identify and, mm. and uh, target. And so that's why I, I started in with this project. Um, it, it took a lot of time. I've been working on it for about a year, and I'm at a point where we're ready to kind of share and test it. And that's why I brought it here, because I know other people are struggling with that same issue of how do I know my students are growing in my program and how do I know it's my program that's causing the growth. So developing these um, 
these very specific uh, curricular standards based on the things that the Texas state plan says we're supposed to be doing, I thought was an important way of helping the field to grow itself and understand more. Yeah, I, I think it's a lot of, uh, of value building, which is something we talked about here at TG, TAGT Leadership this morning. Um, because it seems difficult, uh, from my perspective, to take the broadness of the definition of GT provided by, T, mm-hmm. provided by TEA, and you're right, turning that into concrete points that help deliver the, the impact that students are having in their life. Um, so yeah, I, I find that fascinating. You talked a little bit about portfolios, and obviously I think portfolios are a great practice, but you're right, taking that and turning that into a point that an outsider who's determining to invest in your program or not can understand. I mean, that's pretty critical. So that's tough to do. So what, maybe what are some measures that you're finding and maybe relative to the standards that are more effective? Yeah, um, the, I'm not against portfolios, by oh, the sure, way. I still think sure. they're very important, yeah. especially for the to students themselves and the parents and the individual development. But what I will say is that the Texas State Plan asks us to have uh, demonstrate how our skills in self-directed learning, thinking, research, and communication are developed, right? Those are the skills that we're supposed to be developing in our students. But we're developing those four skills across four curricular areas. So the core content areas right. is where we're supposed to be developing those. And that's going to be evidenced by the development of innovative products. So this kind of started when I went to my teachers at the beginning of the year and I said, when do you teach self-directed learning? And the answer I got back from my really excellent GT teachers is, mm-hmm. well, we do these activities. And I said, yeah, mm-hmm. but when do you, speci- what is self-directed learning and when do you teach it? And we spent probably a couple of hours on just that one skill set. Right. And um, I, I realized we have a hard time articulating what it is that we're doing. And if we can't articulate what we're doing, then how, are we, how do we know we're doing it in the first place? How do we know we're teaching that skill instead of just giving them an opportunity to develop the skill? So in my mind, it became really important to really figure out what is the skill that we're being asked to develop. And um, one of the things that I found was none of these four skills are just a skill. They're actually skill sets, and they're multidimensional skill sets that need um, articulation and development so that you can figure out when you teach that thing. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we teach communication, but that's not just getting up and presenting. That's also um, leadership aspects. That's also group, uh, the ability to negotiate in a group. conflict resolution. There's a whole lot of pieces to communication. So um, uh, I, I kind of wandered from your question okay. a little bit, I think, but that, that to me was the real key thing. We can talk about what activities we're doing, the products the kids are making, but we don't know for sure that we're teaching each, mm-hmm. each facet of each skill. And I wonder too, yeah, I think you're totally right with self-directed learning, thinking, research, and communication. Again, that's straight out of the state plan. If our teachers can't speak to this is the skill and this is what it looks like and this is how we're measuring it, I would think that part of the point would be that a student could see themselves, right, that identity parallel, so to speak, a lot of, you know, what that gifted curriculum, we want the kids to to know I'm a self-directed learner, maybe not in those exact terms, but broadly, because I do A, B, and C, right? Right. I'm a communicator, whether I feel 
um, you know, whether I have great self-efficacy with it or not, but I've moved into that role, right? Right. We want kids to do that. How can we do that if the if the, the teachers, teachers can't don't have clarity on what that is? Yeah, and and we have a lot of amazing teachers who do teach a lot of these skills. But exactly right. what you're talking about, if we can't tell them this is the skill you're developing, I mean, we don't do that in sports at all. We tell them <laughs> you're going to work on your swing today in baseball mm-hmm. or your stance for golf. We're very meticulous about what skill it is we're developing. So that's why I wanted to drill down on this. Um, I think that drilling down not only helps our students articulate what it is they're doing, but our teachers reflect on where their strengths and weaknesses are in their instructional, in their pedagogy. Mm-hmm. And so when we can look at the instructional delivery and clarify that for teachers and for students, we have a number of really awesome outcomes. One, we have um, a rubric students can use mm. to kind of assess, self-assess where they are on each skill set and decide personally which one they want to develop more. Um, helps them to have a better understanding and, and that improves metacognition overall mm-hmm. about where they are and how they can plan for their future. Um, it also helps our teachers to self-reflect and grow as teachers and it helps me as a director to plan professional development and learning activities uh, all the way around. Mm-hmm. Um, some other things that you can do with these kinds of um, skill standards once you have them written is you can use them to uh, for your general ed teachers to differentiate content. Oh wow! Um, and to support, um, you know, one of the things that uh, my assistant soup of curriculum asked me to do when I came in was create some exemplars of differentiation for each of our content areas. That's the next step. Right now, this is content neutral. Right. But the next step is to do it for each content area. And doing that is really quite, quite challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you go in with something content neutral and talk with the content coordinators, you can then work in how would this look for um, a gifted student who needed enrichment in that particular content area in that unit. And you can really drill down on, on how to differentiate effectively mm-hmm. for our gifted students. Yeah, that's exciting to think too of like, you know, take an advanced you know, pre-AP or AP teacher looking to meet the needs of their GT students better. Well, if they had a firm understanding of what self-directed learning is, maybe they could evaluate and say, wow, I'm doing too much work for the kids when this, you know, high potential student could really thrive if they were given more opportunities if I gave them, you know, in my lesson. That's kind of how I can see that playing out. Yeah, it helps a little bit with that teacher releasing to the Mm student-centered learning, you know, and that, of course, also aligns with T-tests in Texas, that's a big deal. Right. So um, that's helpful as well. Um, one of the things that I'm working on um, as well is just kind of aligning um, uh, some some one-pagers based on these things for teachers that show how does this particular skill align with T-tests, with AVID principles, with, um, you know, with the Texas State Plan, so that they have really a document. This particular skill is a high-leverage skill for your students, mm-hmm. and here's where it aligns, and here's how it's going to help you as a teacher to improve your teaching as well. Well, I'm sure the uh, the emails are lining up now of people who are going to want that document <laughs> when you're done, so please... I'm sure there's teachers right now listening to this going, that that would be a super helpful resource. And I'll I'll argue this as someone who's also in this field. One of the things that I'm hearing that I really appreciate about this too is within gifted education, again, I think there's a lot of preconceived notions of people bringing what GT is, what services is, or maybe what their experience was when they were a kid. And if we don't define what we're looking for and our outcomes, other people will do that for us. They'll say a great gifted program does A, B, and C, when that A, B, and C may not be in light of 
TEA expectations, right? Right. Oh, I can measure the GT program. They better have hit this strict measure. It's like, well, that strict measure doesn't appropriately address how we could identify kids mm-hmm. in other domains, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm really excited to hear about this because it feels like it fits and it maybe could empower people to really build value well. Yeah, I, I really I really hope so. That's yeah. the goal. <laughs> yeah, thank you for saying so. Yeah. Okay, great. So the, the great thing about having you specifically on this podcast too is not only are you um, doing this work as a researcher, doing this work as a leader in the field as the advanced academic director for Waco ISD, but you're, you're, you're doing all that, which tells me you got a pretty busy schedule in life, I'm sure. Yeah, I do. And I will say I didn't do this on my own. I had mm-hmm. help. Um, I actually uh, contract out a little bit of work to grad students in my department. Oh, wow. Um, and that way I have some extra hands on deck. And so uh, I will give a shout out to Maddie Boshan. She's a master's degree student to help me work with this. But I think uh, directors... Uh, coordinators and directors, if you can reach out and, and partner with your local universities or nearby universities or even some distant ones, there's always a grad student somewhere who wants to help you do something like this. Yeah. So that's just, uh, I know I'm one. So yeah. <laughs> uh, it's really helpful to them to get experience in the, in the field. And it's helpful to you because you don't have time to write everything yourself. Right. And you are pursuing your doctorate in educational psychology specifically, or with specializing in GT research. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that, because I want people to um, be encouraged by that. I found that in my journey, a lot of people would not necessarily say, hey, go get your master's or doctorate within GT. They'd say, go get it in leadership and these other things, mm-hmm. and then, then you could use it for GT. And it's like, well, I think there's something special about knowing this work, right, and being an expert in this work. And clearly, you're an expert on every level, practically, and in the research world. So why why that path? Tell us a little bit about what got you started there. Yeah, well, I, um, I had spent some time in my past researching um, educational change, and that's always interesting to me. But really, uh, my passion is GT. Mm. And I had some opportunities um, to get involved with Baylor and and do my PhD. And at the time, when I first started my PhD, I was just leaving the classroom and going into um, administration for the first time. It's been a long journey. Yeah. Um, because when you work full time and you do a PhD, Man. you're doing that on the side, so you don't have a lot of free time afterwards. But here's what I'll say, um, it can be done. You just have to be very good with your time management. And what I will say for me is that being um, an advanced academics director and working on my PhD at the same time, the PhD research informs my practice Mm. and my practice informs my research. And it's really this great synergy that allows me to um, give my students in my district the very best, the very most updated research. And what I find is that in a lot of ways, um, GT programs have a tendency to be about 20 years behind the field of research in our understanding of how to implement programs. But at the same time, researchers need our input because researchers who haven't had this role don't understand the challenges of implementing um, their suggestions in the program. So it really is um, it really is a great opportunity to see both sides of the research and the practice. And I, you know, I thought about ed leadership programs and all these other things. I don't think you have to stay outside. You're still marketable. Mm. With an educational psychology degree in GT, I am just as marketable as somebody with maybe more so in some cases Mm -hmm. than someone with an ed D in leadership. Mm -hmm. Because um, I am 
I'm available to talk about the educational psychology side of things, the, the school psych side in some ways, not, not all of them because I'm not certified as a school psychologist, mm -hmm. but um, I have a lot more to bring to the table. And I've had this conversation in my district as well. Somebody, uh, they, uh, they've asked me, oh, we need a volunteer to teach over here. And I said, well, I can do that. And they're like, well, you're advanced academics. You can't speak to that. I'm like, really? <laughs> Are you kidding? I'm a school psychologist is what I am. So right. let me show you what I have to offer. And so gradually I've begun to be able to show them more about what availability I have, and I can speak to the socio-emotional side mm -hmm. of the needs of kids in our district. I can speak to parents. Um, I can speak to professional development. I'm working on things like teacher self-efficacy is really important to me, and how we train our teachers, how that leads towards teacher self-efficacy. Mm -hmm. um, and those are things that in immersing yourself in the research uh, really allows you to expand your your knowledge and your ability to practice better and uh, plus it gives you really great contacts um, yeah so you can always you always know someone who can do it if you can't that's great and I love that again I, I hope this podcast and this conversation is an encouragement to, to young teachers who maybe aren't interested in GT in this world and maybe making a career that that going on this pathway, there is immense value. You bring a lot to the table, and being an expert to this can can really equip you well. Because I, yeah, I don't know if too many people take the pathway that we've taken to be able to do this. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a great encouragement. Yeah. Uh, so tell me a little bit more. So how did you get into education? You know, what, tell me about the roles you've had all the way to becoming advanced academics director for Waco ISD. Well, it's, um, it's been a long road. <laughs> I started out um, in my younger years um, looking at organizational communication. Um, my master's degree is speech communication with a focus in rhetoric, and I've always been interested in, um, in education. I actually, in my, in my undergrad program, I was going to be a teacher, and uh, I did my first 88 hours in this little town, Marshall, Texas, Marshall. and the teachers that teachers that I shadowed were all saying, "Get out, get out! Oh, you don't really? want to be a teacher." Yeah, and I'm like, "Don't, don't say that." By the way, if any of you are out there and you have teachers shadowing, do not share your angst with them. <laughs> uh, we need teachers, but right. they told me I was going to be miserable and I wouldn't like it. And so, as a 19-year-old kid, I was like, "Well, shoot, I'm not doing that." Right, and that really built your self-efficacy there. I'm sure. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I bailed. I bailed on it, and I I ended up graduating early with an English degree, which, by the way, you can't get a job with an English degree. <laughs> so I I went on. I I did some uh, temp separate secretary work, and I I still tell people that my very first full-time job I was an assistant to a secretary I was a secretary's assistant Wow there is no lower job than that yeah <laughs> and uh, but it's still the job that gave me the most skills for what I do today to the organizational skills and everything it yeah. was probably the most valuable job I've ever held um, wow. with regard to what I'm doing today but that's just an aside I went on I got my master's degree um, and uh, at Emerson College in Boston and uh, taught some classes while I was getting my master's degree in speech, and I learned that I just really loved uh, teaching at the college level. And so that was always my goal, was to get my PhD. Um, through various things in my life, I spent some time as a stay-at-home mom. I spent yeah. a lot of time in my kids' district, um, volunteering at all levels in the district and working with um, things like the, um, the site-based decision committees, the uh, mm -hmm. building committees and all of that. So I really got to understand 
district administration and the, and the trials and difficulties of trying to do things at a district-wide mm-hmm. level. And, uh, and then um, when uh, I, I went through a divorce and I had to get a job and I thought, well, I don't have any skills that are marketable. So, because I've been doing nothing for a while. Well, uh-huh. I wasn't doing nothing. I was doing <laughs> right, a right. lot of important things. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, it, it just took me a few minutes to figure out what, what could I do. And I thought, well, I've been studying the education system from the outside for so long. Mm. I need to get in. And so I went and got my teacher certification, subbed while I was doing that, and then became a teacher at Canyon Ridge Middle School in Leander ISD. And I was uh, there. I learned a lot of things about what you can expect and teacher expectancy. And, um, you know, I had taught at the college level before, so I didn't know seventh graders couldn't do things um, mm-hmm. that I asked them to do, and they did them. So I never had low expectations for my students. And um, that ended up putting me in the position of being a gifted and talented teacher. We had a standalone course there called Quest. And I taught Quest for seventh and eighth grade for about five years before, or four years before I um, got my principal certification and then went into administration. And so that's what brought me, brought me to this point. But I just, I've been a a gifted student myself. I raised uh, two gifted kids, both twice exceptional. And I have, um, you know, I've, I've been a gifted teacher and as an administrator, having the opportunity to get into um, the gifted coordinator position was just, it was just exciting to me mm-hmm. to be able to finally do something for the people who were doing the work that I love the most. Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate you sharing your story. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's powerful. And I think a lot of people can relate to kind of the bumps along the way. I, I feel like a lot of educators, whether their plan was to get into education at the beginning or not, have these windy roads that bring them okay now i'm with kids now i'm with other educators Mm -hmm. and and kind of exploring this world so i appreciate you sharing that i think a lot of people will really be able to connect to that Mm -hmm. um so tell me a little bit about waco isd because that one of the things that fascinates me especially in the great state of texas is that gt services can look very differently and kind of when you're homegrown in a district your district is what you know you think that's what everyone expects then you look at the state plan you're like oh there's some there's some uh, areas of variance here. And we even have districts in the state of Texas that are not doing GT at all, right? So we have huge districts tackling it in different ways. We have small districts just trying to make it happen. Tell us a little bit about services in Waco ISD. Sure, uh, Waco ISD is a, um, a, a Title I district. Um, every one of our schools is high poverty, high need, um, uh, low SES. We have, I think 98% of our students are on free and reduced lunch. Um, that tells you a lot about who we are. We've got about 14,000 students. Actually, I think it's about 13 after the pandemic. Um, We had 15 going in and uh, we came out with with a lot of loss. A lot of our students moved or shifted and um, haven't come back. So we've we've suffered quite a bit through that, but we have a a strong administration that is really um, focused on building value for the students Mm -hmm. and uh, and improving what's available to them. Um, we have um, our gifted program is a pullout program. Uh, when I went in, we had several schools who were not being identified, not having many students identified, like two kids identified. Wow. So um, I switched us to local norming um, and building local norms. So it's taken us a little while. But the way we identify now is we use our beginning of the year screener as a universal screener. We look at the top 20% of kids in every grade level and every campus. Wow. 
and we we take those kids and then we offer if there's enough evidence from that and uh, then we we just enter them in but if there's not we give them another test and we test them at that point for our second round and then we utilize that information to enter students into our programs and services we may not have a lot of the super high intellect kids a lot of the kids who have that super high intellect are going to private schools in the waco area mm. so we have a tendency to um, not keep those kids in the district um, that's a, something that i'm working on um, this is my second year in waco isd so yeah uh, we've got a little started. need a little time yeah <laughs> but what we're trying to to really do is make sure we're providing enrichment for those students who are sitting in those classrooms twiddling their thumbs because everybody else, they're waiting for everyone else to catch up. Right. So we have a different model than a lot of places have. Ours is um, very much focused on talent development. We are shifting now from just kind of pull out with these sort of, um, you know, uh, units that aren't really based on core curriculum to building a core curriculum teak based unit. Uh, we're looking at curriculum. We're doing a curriculum adoption this year for our, our elementary GT program. We've brought in pre-AP, uh, legit pre-AP, and mm -hmm. springboard right. for our middle school and high school kids. And we're just looking at strengthening our programs across the board so that, first of all, um, every student at every campus has an opportunity to get that enrichment and advancement and acceleration where they need it. Mm -hmm. um, the next step there is really trying to figure out um, how we can build in flexibility for acceleration, how we can be um, accelerating the kids who need it. Mm -hmm. um, those are key pieces that are structurally difficult at the moment that we're trying to really uh, flesh out and make happen. And uh, one, one thing that is great about the pandemic is it really brought a lot of flexibility to teachers and campuses that we didn't have before with teachers being more comfortable with online learning and uh, kids having equipment. So now we can do Zoom into a classroom from another campus if we need to. So there's a lot of things that we're leveraging that we haven't had in the past, um, and we're just working on building that up. I think that um, one thing that's unique about our district is we do have a GT school within a school at the middle school level. It's called Atlas Academy. Oh, wow. Um, it was started by Cecilia Boswell some time ago when she was in Waco ISD. And that's a program, too, that we're, um, we're actually in the midst of kind of rebranding and re-envisioning and strengthening that program as well. And we've built in some additional supports for students who are from traumatic backgrounds and um, and building a partnership with our Baylor Ed Sykes students in GT so they can come over and help the teachers and provide some support for the students as well. Wow, yeah, Ms. Boswell, who we've had on the podcast before. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's exciting yeah. Yeah, because I think, I think a lot of different districts, like I said earlier, do this very differently. So to see Waco ISD and moving in that direction, that's, that's exciting. And, uh, you know, I, I wonder, too, you brought up, you know, losing students to a private school. I, I feel pretty convicted that a robust, healthy, gifted, and talented program is a part of the answer to some of that, right? It's a part of, I, I, think, it's a, I think it's an important, I think it's a valuable thing in general. Mm -hmm. But I do wonder, uh, and maybe I'd love to, to hear your thoughts on this, too. I do wonder if, if we're able to meet our vision for GT services at a high level, I wonder if if that's something we could provide within our ISDs and maybe other places can't. I don't know. 
I think I think in the, for the most part we can, mm-hmm. but there's a perception on the part of parents that maybe they'll get something better somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that uh, we we talk about this a lot, and a lot of our students will leave us in fifth grade um, because they're worried about how um, how the middle school atmosphere will be in mm. a in an you know, and so when they leave us in fifth grade, we have a tendency to get them back. So the the real question is what are we doing to reassure parents and help them understand how these programs support their student all the way through but when you when you have a a distinct pullout program and it's not clear what the services are after that Mm -hmm. i think that's where you really lose your families and they don't see the pathways towards acceleration and advancement for their student and um, they get caught up in sort of the 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 fear of public education that is kind of rampant right now um, due to circumstances mm-hmm. um, and and probably a little politics. So yeah. so sometimes we lose them. I think we get them back a lot of times. And for me, my goal is not to lose them in the first place. I try to have conversations with every family who's going somewhere else and find out where they're going and just let them know if they don't have the services they need there, we'll always have them back. And um, we'd be happy to tailor a program for their student. Uh, we have done that, and um, you know that individual tailoring of a program is sometimes really important. Uh, I have a kid who's in all AP classes, and he wants to graduate early because he's going to be drafted. So oh, wow. we would really like to have that happen for him. We want all of his talents to be developed, and so we're looking at what's the best route for him to um, to be able to graduate early with the 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 best. Um, advanced diploma and that new Texas diploma may be it for him so he's going into ninth grade very cool so there's a lot of opportunities out there that if we're having those conversations with our families and our brand is very clear I love the conversation we had this morning Mm -hmm. in the mastermind I think we won't lose our students because public schools can do things that private schools and charter schools can't do that private schools are not required to provide gifted services or acceleration in any way for mm-hmm. students. And they also don't provide those associated services for our twice exceptional students like dyslexia training or uh, support. Right. And um, a lot of times what happens is those students will go and then find out they're not being as well supported at the private school and that's why they come back to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fascinating. And again, we have friends from all over the state of Texas who are probably listening to this podcast, but I do feel like there is something um, important about educators within the field of GT, especially within uh, public schools. Mm-hmm. You're right to have our brand down, to have our vision and, and our, our objective of what we're trying to accomplish with students to be very clear mm-hmm. because I do think it is something very valuable and very needed for those kids who are meeting that TEA expectation of outpacing their peers, right? right. Which can exist at every campus, kids outpacing their peers. Right. Well, I think we could be part of the solution to that for sure. Yeah. Um, okay, this is great. So I, I want to go back a little bit to your doctoral program. Mm-hmm. You're there at Baylor. Baylor is yeah. a great friend to TAGT. They're here at the conference. If someone is like, you know what, I want to be, I want to be like Celeste one day. I want to get my doctorate. Could you tell us a little bit about that program and, yeah. and what that is, and, and maybe getting into it and, and how it's kind of helped you? And you even talked about it already. You're already plugging it into your mm-hmm. your district, which is really cool to hear. But tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, our program at Baylor is really great. Um, it, it's uh, smallish right now, but it's growing fast. We have the Baylor Center for the Education of the Gifted, and I probably said that wrong. 
<laughs> but it's uh, the Baylor Center is um, where we have our, our Baylor TIP program. Mm. Um, we have our University for Young People program in the summer. There's Super Saturdays happening for students and also parent conferences as well. Baylor provides a lot of service to the gifted community um, through um, you know some really dedicated people. What I love most about Baylor's program is that we are a collaborative Uh, I I say a collaboratively competitive program. Mm. Um, We produce grad students who are top performers um, in the world of gifted education. If whenever we go to national conferences or, you know, at NAGC or AERA and we're competing uh, in some of the graduate student um, events, we have some competitions. We're always in the top three, always in Mm. the top three. So um, that tells you that the level of instruction at Baylor and the level of research is really high. There's a high bar mm-hmm. at Baylor, but the great thing about it is everybody's there to support you. I've been in a lot of different um, colleges and universities, and, and a lot of in and out of a lot of different grad programs over my my span of career, mm-hmm. and I've never had the kind of support and encouragement and a really focused attention that I get at Baylor. And our grad student um, cohort is really tight. Um, we take care of each other. We look out for each other. Um, we make sure that when we go to a conference or an event or we're working on something that people don't get left behind and they have what they, they need mm-hmm. to be successful. Um, you know, I think uh, I, just, I just published my first, uh, first author paper. I'm super excited about that. Um, it, took, it takes a while to get through that process, right? But a lot of other programs don't emphasize that publication piece and Baylor does. We really focus on making sure that when you are in the program that you are getting the highest level of, um, of, of teaching and support and the expectations are set at the highest level so that you are marketable anywhere you go after that. So, um, and that's true in the EdD program too. So our EdD program students, um, it, it is a clinical program, but they do a lot of research as well. Uh, we have two really amazing programs at, at the Baylor campus, and they're producing really incredible folks in the field. Um, and I, I, I really enjoyed it. I feel like it's a family. Um, I, I joke a lot because I'm the only person in my family who didn't go to Baylor for undergrad. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I avoided it like the plague. I was like, I'm not <laughs> going to go to Baylor. I don't want to be a Baylor yeah. person. And I was just telling somebody the other day, my perception of what Baylor was was really skewed to what it really is. I mean, you think it's a private uh, religious institution. It's going to be all weirdly conservative and people are going to be uh maybe not we talked about the baylor bubble and baylor bowheads and i didn't want that that's Mm -hmm. what that's what i thought when i was um a kid so i went to a smaller baptist college and (laughs) instead i went to east texas baptist but (laughs) but i'm at baylor now as a grad student and it's completely different it's very rigorous it is a christian institution so there is, there are those values there, but you can, we have a lot of people who aren't in that same faith who attend, and it's very um, open and supportive of um, of all walks of life, all faiths. And what I find is that the environment is um, not that 
that difficult competitive environment where people are pitting students against each other, but that collaborative environment where there's really this sort of moral imperative to ensure that mm -hmm. every every um, master's student, every undergrad student, every doctoral student is fully supported and given the best opportunity to become the best version of themselves that they can become. Wow, that's powerful. And I, and I, I love that you bring that up because I do think especially if you're gonna choose this field that we've chosen of being in gifted education, you have to get plugged in with the community mm -hmm. to really equip you. And I, I'd imagine, you know, TAGT I think serves as that role broadly yeah. mm -hmm. when people are invited in, but that tight-knit community that you can only get from a, a program, a master's or doctoral program, mm -hmm. that's cool that that community isn't just there, but there's also products coming from that. Right. And if I may be a dorky GT guy for yeah. a second, you know, you're describing your own self-directed learning, thinking, research, communication as uh, as products of your experience at Baylor, which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. thanks. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I like to just connect everything back to the state plan. Uh, that's awesome. Um, my wife gets annoyed by that. No, just kidding. I don't do that, <laughs> I don't do that at home. But uh, anyways, this has been great. I, I guess before we get to, or before we start to uh, head towards the end here, do you have any advice that you would give to maybe a younger version of yourself or a younger teacher who might be looking at your trajectory as maybe their trajectory mm -hmm. about, you know, just... How do, how do you get started? You know, what encouragement do you have for them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I actually say say these things to people a lot of times, but I think they're really important to hear. Um, chase opportunity. You know, we mm. talk a lot about chasing our dreams, but sometimes our dreams are not, um, we don't really know what we want in that dream. But if you chase opportunity and you have a positive attitude, you're going to find that you can make almost any opportunity work out for your good. Um, and sometimes it will lead you in a direction that you didn't know you wanted to go until you got there. So chase those opportunities that come up and don't be afraid to reach out to researchers in the field and um, instructors and teachers um, to just ask questions. Um, one of the things that, that I do as a, a doctoral student is um, I support networking in the field. I try to make sure that um, that people can reach out and network with others. It's a small, we're a small family mm. and everybody wants to help you. So there's almost no one you're going to email and say, hey, I'm really interested in your work. Can you tell me more about this? Who's going to say, I really don't have time for you, <laughs> right. right? Some right. people are bad at email, so you might need sure. to get their phone number and text them or something. Right. I that's don't a, know. That's a norm in education, I think. Yeah, yeah. in general. But <laughs> Don't be afraid to pursue any line of inquiry you're interested in. If you just want to reach out and learn a little bit more about one topic, look up who's studying that topic and call them. Find out who they are. Um, talk to them about it. And if you're thinking about um, doing an advanced degree in uh, gifted education, call around to the different programs. Go visit them. Talk mm -hmm. to them. Um, and just ask them. That's how I got in my program. Actually, I gave Dr. Kettler a hard time at a TAGT conference, uh -huh. and uh, and we started chatting. And then I, I was like, "All right, well, fine. I'll just apply and see what happens." And I was kind of shocked that I got in. Yeah. So uh, you just don't know what you can do until you start doing it. So don't sell yourself short. Don't cut yourself off at the knees. Don't um, don't think you can't do it because you probably can. Um, if you're doing this work already, you are probably uh, head and shoulders above everyone else 
who is not touching it with a 10-foot pole. Mm. So just give yourself a little credit and reach out to folks and uh, have fun with it. Great advice, and I appreciate that. So we're going to go ahead and do this. We're going to start to wind down. I got my fast five questions that I'd love to ask anybody who's on the podcast just to get to know them a little bit better. Uh, so we're going to have a little fun with that. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. I'm going to get some creative thinking going here. First question. If your closest friends had to describe you in three words, what would they say? <laughs> um, they would say uh, education focused. It's the only thing I think about is education. Yeah. They would say I am very intense uh -huh. sometimes. Um, and they would say also, um, well, that's really hard. That's, <laughs> that's okay. Hard. You what would they say? Gave three words already. Yeah, kind of Focused, intense. Well, that's like true. That. That's true. There you go. Yeah. You've already made. You're you're trying to uh, excel past the. Rubric. I, there you I like go. It. All right. If I give you a uh, question number two, if I give you a fifty dollar gift card to shop anywhere, where would you go and why? Uh, or I it would, could it could be a restaurant if you wanted it to be whatever you think. Proof Rock Press, which oh, is yeah. now Rutledge. <laughs> Taylor Francis Rutledge. Yeah, I buy I buy books. Yeah, yeah, that, that's amazing. So you're a good reader, is what yeah. you're saying. Yeah, okay. I love to read, and there's a I have a whole stack of books I want to buy that I right. can't afford right now. Too so. many books, not enough time. Exactly. I appreciate that. Yeah. Question number three: What's different about education today compared to when you started? Wow. Um, when I started teaching, or when yeah. I was a kid? Oh, that's I, interesting. Yeah. I, However you want to take it. I'm going to take it from when I was a kid. Okay. I think we talk about this a lot. Most of the teachers who are in the field today came up under standardized testing. Oh. And I think it has changed the way we feel about what we're able to do in the classroom. Because we've never, most teachers who came up in the No Child Left Behind era have never had the kind of teaching that I had when I was coming up in school, which was more open, flexible, more creative, more inquiry-based. And as we slid more towards standardized testing in, uh, in America, mm -hmm. our teaching has really become more um, or less flexible in the classroom. And so I think that our teachers today haven't ever seen the skills that we want them to teach. So it's harder for them to model it. They need a lot more training and development than, than we're able to give them. Wow. That's powerful. Yeah, if the teachers are struggling with those concepts yeah. or didn't experience that, how could they have the students right. do that? And they're capable. I'm not saying they're not capable. Oh, sure. They just haven't ever had it. Right, right. Wow. Um, question number four. Who is one person you could not imagine being without in your educational journey? Dr. Kettler. Yeah? Todd Kettler, yeah. So shout out to Todd Kettler. He's uh, he is kind of, uh, he's, he's went through my pathway before mm -hmm. I'm doing it, and he's my advisor, and he's just been a great mentor to me. That's great. Yeah. Like I said, formerly on the podcast as well. Mm -hmm. Feel free to check out that episode too. In question number five, if you had to tell teachers to do one thing to develop student potential, what would it be? You got to get this one thing, you know? You got to know where they are. Hmm. You got to know your students. And I'm sure there's probably a lot more things I would tell them to do, but it, that's the first thing, is to really drill down and know who they are and where they are in their education journey. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any go-tos when it comes to recommending how to find that out from teachers? Yeah, absolutely. Find out what they're uh, reading and watching and doing on the Internet um, and speak to that. Uh, I used to have kids who were really into this webcomic that was really kind of dark. Oh, my, wow. my kid was into it. 
but I could uh, occasionally drop a reference to that in class and <laughs> I would get everybody's attention. So right. there's some things kids feel more open and able to talk to you about things if, um, if you know what they're into, if you know their life and you can reference it. A lot of people discuss relationship building and its importance. It, it sounds like you can only do that if you know what they're going through, what they're interested in. Yeah, if yeah. you don't take time to find out what they're interested in, that you can't build a relationship. Well, if people are interested in you, how could they find out more information about you, maybe on, find you on social media, and, and how would you like them to do that? Yeah, you can find me um, a couple of different ways. I'm on the Waco ISD website under Advanced Academics. Um, it's uh, celeste.sodegren at wacoisd.org. You can email me there. Um, you can certainly email me at Baylor. It's celeste underscore sodegren1 at baylor.edu. Um, you can also find me on my ResearchGate profile. I have a profile there. You can email me that way. Um, I'm working on a lot of different ways. I'm very open. I love to hear from people. Um, I mentor in the Emerging Leaders Program. Um, I like to have that interaction with others. Um, that helps me when I'm interacting with others, when I have support from other people. So I like to, to give back and support others as well. That's great. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, today's guest, Celeste Sodergren. we're so glad you could join us. If you're interested in learning more about today's guest and their work, check out their links included with this podcast post. If you're not yet a member of the Texas Association for the Gifted and Talented, we hope you'll join our community by visiting txgifted.org and clicking on the Join tab. Renzuli Learning is proud to support the Texas Association for the Gifted, their podcast and gifted education nationwide. Be sure to visit our website at renzulilearning.com and sign up for your free trial to experience firsthand how we deliver a rigorous, personalized learning environment for all students pre-K through 12 and how we align our resources to the TEKS and provide student-driven project-based learning that unpacks the natural passions and abilities in all children.